guys, welcome to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. I'm Kelly. I'm your wine explorer here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am chatting with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. Welcome back to another episode of A Cork in the Road. If you are a first-time listener, welcome. Glad you found us. And if you're back for another episode because you listen every week, thank you so much. And thanks for telling your friends and spreading the word. It means the world to us as we continue to grow and promote the podcast and spread the word about the Southeast and Atlanta and all the people making the industry what it is down here. So thank you so much. It's good to be back. This week is very much focused on our local wine scene, as it kind of is every week with a little bit of stretching out here and there to other parts of the country and across the world sometimes. But this week we are heading an hour and a half north of Atlanta, Georgia to the North Georgia mountains. We're going up to Georgia wine country and we are going to meet with a husband and wife duo who own Noble Wine Cellar and it is up in Clayton, Georgia. That's where their tasting room is. But Jabe and Barbara have owned Noble Wine Cellar as their label since 2014 and they are all about finding what grows best for the region not pretending to be something they aren't, not trying to be a different grape growing place other than what North Georgia does best. And their wines, you guys, they're pretty much the wine that if someone goes, oh, I didn't know Georgia made wine, I go here, try this. Um, So their wines have been a part of my life and my exploration of the region for a while, particularly their Chamberson grape, their Petite Mensang. I think they're just really stellar and they're even on some wine lists in the metro Atlanta area. So keep an eye out if you're local. And if you're not local, if you're tuning in from one of the other places that I see on our podcast stats in Australia, in France, in Argentina, I want you to get to know what the South is doing for grape growing right now. And I think that these two are the best to meet to get started. So thanks for tuning in. Again, we have another episode each week and can't wait to keep bringing you more wine stories. So leave us a review if you like what you hear, subscribe, and we'll be back next week. But enjoy this week's episode and cheers to Southern wine. It is so great to see you guys. Thank you for being here. How are things going up in North Georgia? Going great. I mean, it's as as well as they can be. Strange times we're living in, but I pretty much tell everyone that asks about the business, people have not stopped drinking. If anything, they're drinking more. So we've been busy, busy on the weekends and even busy during the week. I think people's schedules are just a little unknown and They're out and about, maybe more so than they used to be because kids are being schooled virtually so they can take the the schooling on the road. So I'm I'm meeting a lot of younger families and then a lot of people who work from home. The, The wine world for us has not slowed down. (laughs) That's good to hear. I mean, my self-study of my own home, that's true as well. We have not slowed down in our drinking. So that makes perfect sense to me uh, from that standpoint. But you guys are up in in Clayton, Georgia. It's about an hour from Atlanta. You're right in the thick of harvest right now. Tell me what stage we're at. What is the most recent thing you've done with the grapes up there? So it's been a really uh, challenging year. I, I like to tell people that in our climate, 
there any given five years that you look at, you're going to have one year that's just going to be the pits. And 2020 happens to be that year. And, uh, you know, it's just it's the way it is. Now, out of those same five years, one of them is going to be stellar. You know, you're not going to have any problems at all. You're just going to go, wow, why can't it be like this all the time? Um, and then the other three, you know, you're just going to have stuff to deal with. And, uh, and unfortunately, 2020 is just that year. So it started off with uh, a lot of frost um, starting in um, very early April, and it ran all the way until Mother's Day weekend of May that we had issues where weather was getting too cold and the grapes were too far out or the vines were too far out. They were already blooming out and budding out and stuff like that. So we recorded five frost events in one of our vineyards. Um, and so frost is just one of those things where when it hits, uh, you never know how much damage it's really going to do. And you just kind of have to look at it as the season goes on to see um, some of my friends had like a 90% loss in their vineyard. Uh, everybody that I know of in, in North Carolina had at least some damage. Um, and in Georgia, a lot of people had damage. I even have friends that have really good frost protection and, and they did a great job, but they still saw some damage. So for us, um, I'd say that we're probably somewhere around 50% loss in, uh, in one vineyard that I'm working at. And, and, Another vineyard, uh, Fiddler's Ridge Vineyard, they decided that because of everything going on, not just the frost damage, but also the different challenges that were going on throughout the year, they just decided not to crop. They, they could have put out a crop, but they just didn't feel like it was economically worth it for them. And so, you know, that just was a decision they made, something I didn't have any control over. And uh, that's how it goes though. Um, you know, so having said all that, um, we harvested some Sangiovese and um, we've been getting way too much rain all year long. It's like we can't catch a break. And I've got Cap Sauvignon still out on the vine, Chamberson still out on the vine, a hybrid called St. Vincent still out. And right now the biggest fear is weather or a temperature at 31 overnight, which means freeze again, frost again. But one in five years, right? This is the one in five where it's like there couldn't be anyone, there couldn't be anything else go wrong this year. Of course and, it is. That's yeah. like this all makes sense for 2020. I am so sorry to hear these challenges, yeah. even from the beginning, in the middle of the pandemic, with everything yeah. else going on. Like yeah. you had, this is just that one year, but you you knew that pretty early on. Well, this is wild because you were talking about some of your friends too, and I know it's such a great community up there of people that are really working to make Georgia wine what it is. But when did you start? making wine you say every one to five years so how many one out of five years have you had here Dave, um, that are bad <laughs> full, full time full on wine world only um i started in 2007 so i, I guess that's puts us at 13 harvests but i started in 03 as more of like just a seasonal or part-time worker say it's part-time is not really right it's full-time but it was seasonal um so 03 and 04, I, I, I worked through a full growing season and worked through a harvest. Uh, worked through a harvest in 2004 as well. So I've definitely seen, you know, the, the growing side um, for several years. But 07 is when I really started making wine. 03, it was kind of more just like, here, do this, do that. You know, you're kind of like grabbing and grabbing it, whatever. You're the gopher, right? You're just, and so you're more of a witness than you're a participant, but you're really not in control of anything. It's like, you know, you're not the engineer, you're just shoveling coal in the fire. 
but you know, it was fun. And that's actually one of the things that first attracted me to, to actually getting into wine was that first experience that I had in, in 07. I kind of, I kind of had the opportunity to go into a, a full-time job in, in wine in Georgia and, and I took it. Um, and after about a year, I really realized, you know, this is really something that maybe I was looking for, but I didn't realize it. And I kind of can't see myself doing anything else. I hope I'm able to keep doing this for the rest of my life. And then, you know, sooner or later you come to that realization and you're like, well, I want to get as good at it as I can. You know, I want to learn as much as I can and, and become the best at it as I can. And, and eventually that led me to starting uh, owning my own label and, and making wine for myself with no one to tell me what to do. Right. So, I mean, you know, except for having to deal with what the growing season brings you, I, I make wine the way I want to make it now, right? So, Other than Mother Nature, you're in control of what you can control, which is really exciting. So you, you're not new to the Georgia wine scene by any means, but when you started, was anybody else making wine? Kind of tell me what you've seen as the progression of what makes Georgia wine what it is today. Yeah, sure. Um, there, there are definitely some people that got started before 99, but there were very few. Chateau Lon, I think, um, and, and Habersham Winery, um, maybe some Muscadine producers as well. I don't know for sure, but right around 1995, I guess, um, Tiger Mountain Vineyards uh, in, in Raven County planted their first vineyards shortly thereafter. Others like uh, Wolf Mountain and Frogtown and Blackstock um, all kind of started going over in the Dahlonega area. And everybody was sort of starting to plant grapes in this region all at the same time. So roughly by like 1999, people were starting to put out their first vintages. And so, you know, about four years later, 03, I'm kind of just getting my feet wet and all of that. And, you know, there was this pretty small but tight-knit community of, of, of growers in the region. And everybody was like, you know, they were the groundbreakers and literally and figuratively. Um, they were literally breaking ground to plant vineyards. Figuratively, they were trying to figure out this region. And that's what I feel like we're still at is figuring out the region. We know for sure we can grow grapes here. We can grow good grapes here. Um, we just probably can't grow the varieties that are being done in California or you know, maybe even Virginia, you know, isn't comparable, or North Carolina, it, you know, it's, it's all about your own unique uh, terroir, your microclimate, whatever you want to say as to, to, to discovering not only what varieties are going to do the best, but do it consistently. That's what it's all about. And then can you make a good wine out of it? Um, it's not just about getting a crop on the vine and having it survive all the way to harvest, but having a good quality fruit to work with after it's said and done you know so that that's the real challenge and that's that's when it sort of began and i and i feel like we've we've had a second wave now as well i couldn't say exactly when that started but you know those initial businesses those initial vineyards and winery that i mentioned have established themselves you've started to see a, a second wave of people with the same kind of interest but willing to try out new things uh, you know, Crane Creek Vineyards was one that was right in that, that beginning, those early years. And I feel like those are guys that are really trying to continue to figure out, okay, this variety has done well for us, but, you know, maybe it's been too much work to get it to, to, to produce uh, the, 
the quality of fruit that we want year in, year out. Let's try some other varieties. And those varieties aren't working, let's pull them out and let's put in something different. And that's what it takes. And that's, that's a real challenge in, in running a business. There's so much investment in starting a vineyard. Um, so I think that's where having a tight-knit community of folks that are willing to talk and discuss what, what's working for them, what isn't working for them, is, is what's key to continuing to move our, our industry forward in our region. That's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of that figuring it out, which I think is a really unique place to be in the growth of a region and having that camaraderie of people figuring it out all together. I absolutely agree about the preconceived ideas needing to go out the window for people that are not familiar with Georgia wine. Mm -hmm. um, there was recently a wine enthusiast article written by a local writer here in Atlanta, Leah Picard, and she actually mentioned that exact statement of, you might not be familiar with the grapes that are growing here, but you have to give them a try without expecting it to be something that you know or that you've had before. And I think that's a cool place to be as a winemaker to say, you know, we're making our own path. We're finding our own identity right now. Um, and people are going to experience what the land can give you. So from that sense, I know Barbara, you're really involved in kind of the marketing and the sales side of your business together. So when you try to describe what the state's current identity is for the region, how do you go about doing that? Well, for me, because I'm the one that's in the tasting room and I'm meeting the people face to face and they are learning the moment they walk in that, okay, these aren't wines just by looking at the label that I've necessarily heard of. I do have to say, this is not something you've had, but give it a try. I feel confident that you're going to enjoy it. You're, you're going to know that there was love put into this wine and they can taste the difference. We have wonderful customers, but it's so important to us that everyone understands these wines were grown locally. And as you were saying, as Jade was saying, you may not know the grape, but there are going to be grapes in here that will be similar to what you've had. I mean, we actually had a, it was such a nice compliment. We were doing a tasting at a bottle shop. What did he say? Yeah, it's pretty much, who needs California Chardonnay when you've got this? And hey, Chardonnay is beautiful. I, I love Chardonnays. But for him to have said that, and he tastes a lot of wines to have respected what we're doing and yeah the comment was basically just that you know if you can do this well with this great variety why fool with something else right and for me i've seen a lot of guys that grow chardonnay and i've talked with them about their production their cost things like that and costs generally are coming from growing the fruit um you know there are a lot of other factors but um but everybody has those same factors, you know, like a barrel costs what a barrel costs, you know. So if you're wanting to do a barrel-aged Chardonnay, it's cost what it costs. Um, if you're wanting to use a certain type of yeast strain, it costs what it costs. Um, but but the growing of the fruit, and and I look at them and it's just like, you know, that's it's just too much money to spend on Chardonnay to to just to say that you have Chardonnay if you can do it with something else, and and then. So at any rate, I, I, it, it doesn't matter necessarily what the grape variety is for the region. It, it depends on how the, the flavors come across or how the structure of the wine is or, or any number of things like that. And for an example, another thing Barbara and I have 
took a really hard look at some while back was what's our presentation like? You know, what does our bottle look like? What does our packaging look like? And we wanted to say, okay, let's try not to make it look different to stand out. Let's try to make it look familiar so that that eases people's perceptions. There's a, there's a lot of psychology in wine, just even natural cork versus synthetic cork versus Stelvin or, or, or screw cap closures. And I mean, by box wine, canned wine, these kinds of things have always been just like so frowned upon, but now it's becoming a little more accepted. I'd say a lot more accepted, but let's try to make it as familiar to the, to the consumer as possible um, in what we do and, and also make it memorable. But I think that's a, that's a big help even. Um, it makes the product look more legitimate. I hate using it, putting it in those terms, but I mean, that was kind of what was in our mind. Well, I mean, just yesterday, I can't help but think I had a customer and I get a lot of customers that are they're traveling through. They're either from Florida, usually Atlanta, I'd say South Carolina, North Carolina, that, that, that's, that's my bulk of customers. And I get a lot of the time, the question, I'm looking for a cab. Do you have a cab? And I have said so many times, I don't have a cab, but I have this. Would you it's like, like the, it? It's and like then, the bait and switch. Like, no, but try this. Do you have a short neck? No, 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 but I have this, you know, and they try it and Generally, we can win them over, and it's so fun. And then they're thrilled. They've found something new. They've discovered a new grape. So to me, that's, I think that's the some best of it. part. <laughs> I think that's some of it, too, is that people a lot of times just want to feel com comfortable when they're asking for something. And so, like, for example, let's say you go to a Chinese restaurant, and you've eaten Chinese a couple of times before. So you've got all these different things on the menu. You don't know what to order. So you go with something you've ordered in the past and you were happy with it, right? So people like to be within their comfort zone. They like so, familiar. Yeah, so that's a sure. lot of what it's about too. As long as we can make the wines familiar, even if it's not the same grape variety. And to me, that's the key. Like if I'm growing a variety and trying to make wine out of it and it is Cabernet Sauvignon, but it doesn't taste like Cab, then- Then that's not worth yeah. so, you know. And, <laughs> And, but you know, you know, as well as I do, I do. Cab Savion is the most widely grown grape throughout the world. So you have to figure that essentially they're all going to have similar flavors as long as you can get the, the grape variety right. The point is if, if you're, if you're, if you're, you're working with a lackluster presentation of the grape variety, you're not doing yourself any good by having it. You're not doing the customer a service. They don't want it just because, you know, just because it says Cabernet Sauvignon. Why not give them something that's excellent, that's made with something that works well within your region? And that's really what it comes down to to me. And it's hard. It's hard because it takes five years just to figure out whether or not you can really get your crop in, you know, after planting. If after five years of investment, you're not able to do anything with it, you want to pull it out and start over. That's tough. That's a really tough business decision. It's hard to be in that kind of business. Um, but, you know, that's where we are within the region. That's what we have to do. So we're definitely still experimenting. As I mentioned before, we've got this one great variety called St. Vincent that I really like thus far. Uh, we don't have a lot of it planted, but um, if we can work with it, this is not going to be a good year for figuring out exactly what it can do. 
but you know, every year is a learning opportunity, right? So for sure, I've had my eye on Petit Mansang since the time I worked in Virginia Wine, but I actually have been super excited about specifically the Noble Wine Cellar Chamberson and Petit Mansang. I think you guys are putting that on the map. That's my personal opinion. I think it's fantastic, but. What are some of the comments that you've received when someone tries, for example, the petite men saying for the first time, how are they describing it? Um, just yesterday, I had a customer say, there's so much going on in this wine. I don't know where to begin. <laughs> um, I don't like white wine, but I like this. Oh, oh gosh. That's, a, like, That's hands down, hands down. Yeah. The most quoted. Yeah. In here. Yeah. So we have lots of customers who only drink red wine. That's what they tell me yeah. when they walk in. Well, our, our dry wine flight is two dry whites and three dry reds. So you get to try those five. And a lot of times they'll say, can I just skip the whites and do the reds? And for me, it's all about the experience. So I feel like they're missing out if they only drink the reds. So I've gotten to where I've, I've kind of told them no. I've gotten a little bit more brave and said, no, this is what we do. I really want you to try it. I don't think you'll be disappointed. See what we can do in whites. And they end up sometimes saying to me, I actually like the white better than the red. What does happen the most is they buy the petite and they say, I don't even like whites. I love your white. Oh, that's awesome. Red wine drinkers. It's a funny thing. That's a, that's a true compliment right there. That's pretty fun. And such a big step in terms of not only preconceived ideas of what someone's personal preferences are, but preconceived idea of what Georgia might be able to offer. So why, why do certain grapes do well here in Georgia? What do we have going for us that you would describe as kind of the the highlights of the agricultural side of the state. What, do, what are the right conditions for the grapes here? It certainly doesn't come without its challenges. And I've tried to be as involved in growing as I can. Some of the things that we have to manage probably more carefully than other regions uh, have to do with our water and our vigor. So there's a ton of water in the region. Generally speaking here in Rabin County, I feel like it's a really hard go. Now, the vineyards that I'm working with are outside of Raven County. What we have to work against is vigor, um, and that's just too much canopy put on the vine. And getting that under control, um, trying to control lateral growth out of shoots and things like that. And then the moisture, as I said, um, elevating the grapes up above the ground a lot more um, and and choosing varieties that have looser clusters and things like that. So in those regards, I don't know if because the, the great varieties with looser clusters do better for us, actually helps us do better with them, if that makes sense. So Petit Mansing would be a good example of that. Um, it does have a very loose cluster, very small berries. Generally speaking, what I know about Petit Mansing in France is that you're not gonna find it too often as a standalone, it's going to be in a blend with the Gromancine, which is a larger berry and I believe comes off the vine a good bit earlier, made into wine and then blended in with the Petit, which has pretty high acid, uh, really low pH, 
and can be quite bracing unless you can keep it on the vine long enough. Now, we tend to have um, the opportunity to harvest as late as November sometimes, November 3rd, stuff like that. The, the reason I was, um, I'm, I'm pretty bummed about this, this cold weather that we're getting early on. I mean, we're looking at what, like the 17th and we might have to pick. Um, and I'd, I'd much rather be picking closer to like the 25th or the 28th or something like that. Um, it, it just gives me a longer growing season where we can get riper flavors on the vine. With, uh, with the excessive rainfall, um, it, it, it kind of gives rise to uh, more molds and mildews and things like that. And that's, that's one of the challenges um, that we have. But as far as being advantageous, for our region, maybe like 20 years from now, if we're both still doing this, I might have an answer for you. You're or, still learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's all about. I mean, it is all about still learning. I, I've gotten a lot more involved in trying to go to more conferences and uh, I, I'm a member of the North Carolina uh, Wine Growers Association and, and try to do a lot more with them. They've got uh, well over a hundred uh, vineyards and, and wineries in the state. A lot of it's devoted to Muscadine, um, and you know, there's a pretty diverse region up there as well. And and Georgia, I'm, I'm still, you know, able to mostly associate more with friends than with the, the actual uh, wine growers association that is in Georgia right now, um, even though I still attend workshops and things like that. But I, I really just try to talk more with my friends at, at this point and say, hey, this is going on right now. What are you guys seeing? Things like that. You know, how's this grape variety doing for you? Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, more people are starting to grow petite. And I've actually had friends going, I did my first petite this year. I'd really love it if you come do a tasting. Let me know what you think about it. Because I guess for some reason, I've established myself as the guy that works with it a lot. But. They're coming to you for the input because they know that you've been successful with it. That's that's a compliment as well. That from your, you know, your colleagues in the area to be working all together on that and finding your niche and where things are working and where they're yeah. not. I, I think that always just comes back to, you know, this is an agricultural product. This is something that we continually need to adapt and learn as everything changes. So that all makes sense to me, but what you are finding are ways to make the most of what the land is giving you. So that's encouraging for the state. Do you have any idea of where Georgia wine is heading? Like, where do you see this five, ten years from now? Is there a growth of number of vineyards or number of people there producing, sharing knowledge? Where do you see us heading? I think that... There were definitely some people early on that sort of had a vision for Georgia that was ahead of its time, and perhaps we're getting to that point. One example would be uh, Blackstock planted a very large vineyard. I want to say they had about 40 acres at one point, and the goal or the, the vision for that was always to be a grower and not a wine producer and sell grapes. And so I think maybe we're, we're starting to get to a point where perhaps our wine production has outpaced uh, grape production and, and we may be at the point where some more growers are needed and, and that would be a good thing. I think there is always gonna be an aspect to this, this region as being tourism. And if you go to California, that's certainly the case there as well. Um, it's not all about exporting, but I would like to think that, that we're, we're getting to the point where it's not solely focused on, on tourism. Uh, in other words, people coming to you to buy your product. Barbara and I, early on, realized that 
we needed to focus more on outside sales than than we were. And case in point, I mean, that's why we know you. Uh, Truly. I was going to say, that's like, that's how you get people outside of your neighbors finding about your wines. Mm -hmm. Because the placements that you've had in Atlanta, in the restaurants, have been spectacular. So do you remember that first time where you saw your wine on an established restaurant in the city, do you remember that moment? How that felt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I can remember the first the first sale that I didn't expect to get that I got, where I was just kind of floored. It was the the moment where you're done with it and you're trying to get out of your car as quick as you can to get your phone so you can call your wife and tell her that oh my God, uh, Bacchanalia just said that they would take uh, a case of each, and it, and it was it was just like I couldn't believe it. Um, th- those are those moments where you're going okay. What we're doing is right. Um, it, it's legit. We're not just wishing and hoping that this works. We're doing it the way that it's supposed to be done. And that's, that's cool. That's a really, that's the moment where you go and, you know, we can definitely make this work. This, our vision can be achieved. Those validating moments like that, they're, they're great. That was probably, that was our first year for sure, uh, 2014. And, uh, and I think that was the same year that I met um, Stephen over at Empire, and he liked our Traumanette well enough to put it on the menu. Um, and that was a cool moment as well. It, it may have even been like within the same week that I got those two yeses. Um, and it just felt so good, you know, to, to be at these places where in the past maybe I felt like I didn't have any business being there. Or, I don't know, it was like it was a hard sell to try to, to, try to, get, to, try to get business with these places. That's a game-changing week for you. And really, for the restaurants, what are they finding that they're pairing with these wines in the restaurant space? You know, obviously, the wine is on the menu, so sometimes the food is what will encourage someone to try one of these Georgia wines. How are they suggesting the combination of flavors when it comes to your wines? I wish I knew more. I wish I knew that end. It's almost like when we make that sale and they have our wine, I don't know what the waitress or the waiter rather is saying to pair it with. I don't, I don't know that part of it. I'm just curious because of with Empire State South, like where I first tried your wines, it was because Stephen Grubb said, you should try this with the quail or like with this particular dish. You know, that's the kind of thing where I was so thankful to be suggested because I wouldn't have necessarily scoped out the list and found that. And I think Kelly, that too is, is one of those things where um, it's got to be right. Um, the, the restaurant has to be right. I guess my point is that the places where the restaurants are going to change with, with, with seasonal ingredients. Um, Leon's uh, full service uh, has carried our wine and, and they've definitely got their, their standards, stuff that's always on the menu, but they have specials and, and features and things like that. That's where they have the opportunity to bring in something like a, a noble wine cellar and, and pair it with something that they're trying to focus on or feature. And, and then it just adds to the full experience of it all. Um, and you don't get that in every restaurant, and that's the point. And that's kind of why we 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 search for the ones that are, where it's going to be a right fit. Um, and it's good to find the places where that that happens. And believe me, we've called on plenty of places that you know well that it hasn't worked for us. You know, it's just. But 
but that's the way it is. It maybe timing's right, maybe wrong for them, timing's wrong for us. You know, it just it just depends. The product maybe is wrong at the wrong time. But uh, you know, it's an important thing for us to have those kind of partnerships. We we feel like it's it's their job to figure out where it goes or whether or not it works. You know, we're just out there trying to say we've got a we've got a product that we're proud of. Let's see how it works. It makes sense to me that people who are interested in trying local products, local Georgia-grown food, they're going to be super interested in your wines. And Barbara, I know when people come to the tasting room, there's other Georgia products that they can find when they come to experience your wines. What are some of the partnerships that you have locally that you are proud to show off in the tasting room? Wow, yeah. We have, um, we have some products that we've been carrying since we opened in 2015. They've been just wonderful products. I, I order them, I would say, every three months, and I've been doing that for easily five years. One of um, our products that does well is the Georgia Olive Farms olive oil. We have some new, newer oils that I brought in, would you say spring? So Georgia Olive Farms, these guys are olive producers in the state. Fabulous. They're down in... Uh, Lakeland, Georgia. Yeah, close to Valdosta. Near Valdosta. Um, and then oh. these guys have been around for quite a while too. Oliver Farms. You heard of these guys? I have not, but I knew that Southern Georgia had this olive oil thing going on. I, I have not been to visit or that kind of thing, but I know that that's happening. That is so cool. Oliver Farms is a little family-owned business in Pitch. Pitch, Georgia. They, this happens to be their infused sunflower oil, um, and so they grow their they grow their own sunflowers. And you can see it's you know all kinds of herbs and and uh, spices. spices and things like that. So it's like a you know you spread it on vegetables and stuff like that, sautéing. Um, and then they do pecan oil. We carry their pecan, pecan oil. Flour. And we carry their pecan flour. They have some other gluten free uh, flours as well. Those are, those are wonderful products for us. Um, we also carry Condor chocolates out of Athens. We carry um, little light candles out of Athens. I love this. It really is this full experience that you're providing. And I think that makes me wonder about you guys as well in terms of your background before this was you know everyday life was surrounded by wine and the people who make wine and all those things. Were you even traveling or exploring for wine prior to starting Noble Wine Cellar? Where are some of the regions that inspire you or how does that give you this broader perspective of other wines around the world? I would definitely say I was exposed to wine in my college years and didn't really think much about it. Uh, but after Barbara and I got married, we were definitely into wine by then. And uh, we lived in Japan for about a year and we were amazed how cheap we could get South American wine. And it was great wine and it was three or $4 a bottle. And uh, we could get, you know, like Chilean wine. And um, a lot of times we didn't really even know what, what grapes we were getting or anything. I guess we're just casual wine drinkers. And, and then what really attracted me to wine wasn't so much that I was a huge fan of wine before, but just this idea that you've got this agricultural product and it requires very little to actually make wine. You basically just need to release the juice and from the, from the grapes and the yeast, uh, a yeast is, is already on the skins and, and we'll start the process of, of alcohol production. You know, the, the, the yeast met metabolizing the sugar and making alcohol and, I mean, that's as simple as it is. And yet, 
it's so much more complex than that. So it, it is a craft. Um, and the only way you improve upon a craft is the continued practice of your craft. The more you do it, in theory, <laughs> the more lessons you're gonna learn, the better you're gonna get as long as you wanna learn those lessons and get better. And so to me, that's what inspires me about, about making wine. I don't necessarily look at other regions so much. I may look at other winemakers and what they're doing and what is popular right now. What are people drinking? What are people willing to take a chance on? Um, our latest red wine that we made is a Chamberson that was bottled within six months of harvest. So very young to bottle for me by, by standards of what I've been producing as far as red wines go. And it was kind of the, the wine I always wanted to make, but I didn't have the courage to do it because I didn't really know if I could sell it. Right. If I think it's good, it's one thing, but is it good to other people? Right. So, um, but because I'm, I'm seeing this trend more in the way wines are packaged and the types of flavors and, and the, the, the winemaking methods that people are more accepting of these days than maybe in past, particularly like with natural wines and things like that, made us decide, okay, well, let's, let's give this a shot. Let's see what this is like. Let's see if, if, if it works for people. Let's see if we make a wine that, that people are receptive to or not. And it has been wildly popular, um, this, this young to bottle uh, Chamberson that we produced. So yeah, I try to, I try to look more at just the general trend of wine um, and not necessarily focus on any particular region or anything like that. But it, it, it really does just come down to me to all to uh, the point of what can we actually do where we are? Um, I think if I were a little more willing to uh, travel around, source grapes from many different places, maybe I could hone in on, um, on trying to develop a certain wine a certain way in a particular year or, or something like that. Uh, but but it, for me, it's, it's more about focusing on locally what can be done. Uh, you talk about it was a, it's an exciting time to be in a region where there's so much experience, so much opportunity to experience things for the first time. That's really one of the main driving factors behind why I decided to get into business for myself rather than just take another winemaking job working for someone because I knew that would just take me away from, from Georgia. You know, I, I figured I'll get another job winemaking somewhere and, uh, and I'll probably do that for three years and then I'll be looking to move my family again to the next job. And it just didn't seem like the life I wanted. Uh, and staying put, I knew it was going to be a challenging, challenging path forward, but it was also a, a path with a lot of opportunity to do something for the first time, uh, to, to be one of those people on the forefront of what's going on. You know, like I say, it's not something that I could do by myself. There are a lot of people that have come before me and I have to give credit to, and there'll be many people that come after me and improve upon what I do. But, you know, just to be in this moment at this time, there's something really exciting about that. So. Oh, that gives me so much hope. I, I love hearing you describe opportunity in that way because having moved here to Georgia, I have just been absolutely fascinated each year. What I see, what I taste up north in Georgia, like what's possible. And to have people like you, you know, just as committed to making this the best that it can be. Like that's, I think, what people should be super excited to hear about is that the people that are choosing to commit to the vines and to the identity of this place are totally on board with making it the best that it can be. 
That's pretty exciting for all of us here. How, how, much, how much wine are you producing right now? I'd say we're still at around like the 400 case annual production, which is fairly small. I couldn't say about last year. Last year was the first year that I, we bonded a, a facility up in North Carolina. And everything that I produced last year was, was in, that, in that space. It was small. It was kind of one of those situations where we had everything in place. But we were crossing our fingers that we got our license pushed through before harvest hit. It was literally, we were on within like five days of harvesting and we got our license. And so it was, it was down to the wire. This year we doubled our space in that same facility. So we were well prepared for, for increased production. Uh, unfortunately, the weather has not been kind to us, so we won't do much this year. Um, but we're, we're prepared now. Fiddler's Ridge Vineyard, generally speaking, we can get about, I wanna say about 15 tons off of that vineyard. It will probably increase. Uh, Cabernet Franc was planted several years ago and it's uh, ready for harvest. It would have been ready for, for a decent harvest this year. The Traminette generally is about three tons. Eh, we're probably closer to 20, I think, um, when that's in full production. Um, and then the vineyard uh, where, the, where the winery is in Franklin, North Carolina is, I'd say in a good year, we're probably at seven to eight tons there. Um, so, you know, there's, there's definitely enough and enough production uh, to increase our numbers quite a bit from what we're doing right now. Uh, last year's harvest, 2019, I had more Chamberson than I wanted to work with uh, because the vineyard in, in, in Franklin also has um, Chamberson. Uh, it's Cinemore Vineyard. And so I sold a lot of it uh, for fiddlers, found, found clients for it. Uh, some guys in North Carolina, a brewery in Athens actually bought some, and uh, one over in Hawassi. I, I took about, uh, I think, a ton, and that was it, of Chamberson for fiddlers. And I normally would get uh, closer to three to six, um, somewhere in that range. Uh, we had a, a massive challenge with labor last year. We just could not find workers. I don't think it's gotten any better this year. Um, and that's one of the things that's going to continue to be a problem in our region, I think, is that hard to find people that want to come and put in a hard day's work in a vineyard. And, you know, I don't really know how we get around and solve those problems. We, we definitely have uh, a lot of people in the region that are now agriculture and they take advantage of the working visa program uh, with countries like Mexico and down into South America. But... It seems like that's a challenge every single year. Um, yeah. Just to add that to the list of other challenges that you are working to overcome and learning each year how to do better. Like, but that's kind of the theme I hear with, with a region like ours here. It's that you know, nothing's going to be coming at it easy, but you're finding ways to overcome. And I think that's kind of just the most encouraging part about it. Now, I asked about the amount of wine because I think it's important for people to realize that it's not like you're making so much that you're going to find it everywhere. So if people want to find your wines, what's the best way to get the most recent information about what's going on and where they can buy or enjoy your wines? So I would have them check out our Instagram page. It's noble underscore wine underscore seller. That's the most up to date. Our website 
we're kind of in the middle of needing to revamp that. So um, stores-wise, we're, we're not out there like we were. So that's just the truth of what 2020 has <laughs> given us. Where a lot of our bottle shops and our restaurants, they aren't where they want to be. So reaching out to us is not high on their list right now. And we're hoping that'll change. I know they are. We've, we've seen it. Uh, there, everybody in, in the wine world seems to be trying to figure out a, a, a new reality of, of what business looks like. So, But that being said, just, our tasting room yeah. right now, we're, we're open regular hours and this is where you can buy our wine for now. We, we're not shipping, so that's, that's really that. I mean, we, we're at Jay's Bottle Shop in Athens. They do a good job of, you know, trying to keep our wine on their shelves. So you're saying the best way to try your wines is that we have to make a fun hour trip up north and come hang come out and claim yeah. that is you guys know why would we want to do no of course. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good deal i'll take that this fall it's easy to social distance in clayton though because i mean we're known for hiking and national forest and stuff like that yeah, so you, it's perfect. yeah you get up here you can do whatever you want to do um and uh our downtown is is still open for business i mean you know it's fortunately people have not stopped traveling uh, at all uh, yeah. we we were really not sure how this was going to go um but but we're open and and we'd love to see it is really what yeah. it comes down to it's a wonderful excuse it's a great time of year to go visit and anybody driving through georgia on their way to other states come and stop by clayton it's really fun and i am looking forward to doing that thank you so much for sharing a lot about the region as a whole i think people are curious i think there's national attention of what's going on and thank you for leading the way with making those types of decisions of expressing what the land gives you i think that that's the most pure way to keep thinking about the wine industry and i love that about what's happening in georgia so thank you for that and thanks for making a place to try it can't wait to come visit the tasting room sometime soon Yay. Excellent. Look forward to seeing you, Kelly. Thank you for this uh, interview today. Yes. Cheers. Yes. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the A Cork in the Road podcast, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, and interviewing people who are changing the wine world in the Southeast and beyond. You can find more about A Cork in the Road at, at A Cork in the Road on Instagram, and make sure to check us out on www.acorkintheroad.com. See you soon, guys. Cheers.